Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Executive, a place where entrepreneurs, investors, and operators share their life uh, lessons and advice on how to make it at the highest level. Today, we are joined by uh, Robert Jack, the CEO of Sparrow Pharmaceuticals. Robert, so good to have you here today. Matt, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Robert, your team is doing a lot of really interesting work. Uh, excited to dig in on what your team is doing, where you're at with, with clinical trials. Um, and then, uh, but maybe let's start there. What, what, what is uh, Sparrow Pharmaceuticals and what's your team up to? Yeah, uh, so thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, we're a pretty typical uh, private um, drug development focused biotech, um, which is a private company means that we raise a certain amount of money and we have a certain business plan and uh, we just flat out have to execute because when that money's gone, that money's gone. Yeah. Um, and so we're a small team. We only have eight full-time employees, but we have a, a very ambitious uh, plan. We're actually conducting three simultaneous phase two clinical trials uh, with our lead drug. Um, and at the same time, preparing the company for um, when we have that data, obviously be ready for next steps. And it's interesting you mentioned that you're a small team because I noticed that it seems like you guys have been really lean to get to where you're at. I want to talk about that a little bit. How have you guys stayed so lean to get to phase two trials? Yeah, this is the way I'm running a number of different companies. I mean, um, we only hire highly, highly experienced people. Uh, what I tell people is we don't hire people to do what we ask them to do. We hire people to tell us what to do. And so when you come to work for a company uh, like Sparrow, and we're not unique in this regard, you're coming in with a certain expertise that we need and you you already know what needs to be done. Right. Um, so beyond a core of highly experienced people, uh, we like to not build a lot of kind of permanent infrastructure. And so we make use of a lot of consultants, a lot of contractors, a lot of vendors um, to outsource a lot of our actual execution work. And you know, obviously part of that is just cash preservation because you, you only have so much capital like any company, but is is also part of that is you know you go into clinical trials you don't know what's going to work right and so you just need to be able to pivot and with less people you're able to do that quicker is that part of it uh well certainly we have to be flexible um i mean I, we're certainly built for success um i think it's really just more a matter of not you know, building that overhead infrastructure so you have yeah. that permanent you know cost uh infrastructure uh, i just think we don't need gleaming glass office towers, right? We need patients on drugs showing that we can have a, a good medical impact. Right. And then you joined um, the team not that long ago. Was it, la was it last year or was this 2021? The, I've been with the company just a little over two years now, right? Okay. So the very beginning of 2021. Is that right? You joined when the team raised a $50 million Series A uh, from, I think, lead, led by Orbi Med. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that all worked out? I know you were an entrepreneur in residence at one point with Orbi Med. How did that all come to fruition where it made sense for you to join a CEO at that time? Yeah, so, um, I mean, so the way I got here and then also how the company got here, uh, I had uh, been a part of a previous company uh, backed by Orbi Med called Symbiomics Therapeutics. Uh, we sold that company in 2017. It was after that that I joined Orbi Med for a few months as an entrepreneur in residence, and I can talk about that experience. Uh, I actually got a call from a different, um, someone with a different firm who was also invested in Symbiomics and asking me to take a look at a company called Indolo Therapeutics, uh, which I ended up taking over in, in late 2018, uh, which is a great little company, also backed by terrific investors, Atlas and F-Prime. Unfortunately, that drug uh, failed. This happens in our industry. 
in mid 2020. And that's when I got a call from another person who'd been on the board of, of uh, Symbiomics uh, who's associated with Overmed um, and asked me if I'd take a look at Sparrow uh, with them in the fall of 2020. Uh, and I did help them do some diligence, help them um, fill out the syndicate of the investors and, and join that company in the beginning of 2021. So uh, one of the things I like to do um, is work with really great investors. Um, that's really important in this industry. And so when I get a call from you know, folks at F-Prime or folks at Overmed, I'm you know, very excited to at least take a look at what, they're, uh, what they have. And how did it turn into you becoming the CEO? Was that always in mind when they when they made that call for you to take a look at it, or was it just very obvious that your skill sets were perfect for this? Yeah, th well, that's why that's why they called me. Is they were yeah. uh, they had a really great scientific um, officer associated with Sparrow, um, and we're looking for someone to um, fill the CEO role to complement those skills, and so. Um, knew that my previous company, unfortunately, was 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 not going to make it, and um, so that's why I got that phone call is, is potentially be the CEO of, of, of Sparrow. And you you had that relationship from being an entrepreneur in residence. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails and what is an entrepreneur in residence? Yeah, it, it means different things at different firms. You know, these investment firms are um, all very different from each other, driven by the you know the personalities of the partners. And so uh, at Orbermed, um, it, it is a, is a uh, specifically defined role um, for an individual that comes in. So for my role, it was to look for um, potential assets to start a new company similar to had Symbiomics, um, yeah. the business plan for Symbiomics, which had been a drug that was approved outside the United States, but had never been brought to the United States. And there was a, a novel indication that there's some evidence it worked for. And so I was brought in to spend a few months trying to find a very similar asset to that. Um, other, other, other firms, it might mean something very different. There are some firms that have entrepreneurs and residents that I think are there um, with less of a specific mandate that they help right. look at uh, opportunities and provide guidance and maybe sit on boards and maybe join a company, et cetera. And, but, and they're kind of getting trained at that same point, right? Yeah. So at Orbermed, it just was something it, that's just yeah. what it means differently at, at, at Orbermed. Um, but for me, it was a fascinating experience to be able to kind of go to the other side. I'd never been yeah. in a financial institution. I'd always been on the operation side. Um, and so to be able to be part of all the partner meetings, be a part of all of the presentations from other companies, hear the discussion, uh, I just think gave me a, a very different perspective and one that's extremely helpful now in working with you know investors and the board, which is a big part of my job, um, instead of kind of being mystified by you know, yeah. what goes on behind the curtain, right. um, I, that's been helpful. And what are some of those you know mysteries that you learned that is now super <laughs> helpful as a CEO? Yeah, I I, I, I was thinking about that. I trying to think of very specific things. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to come up with something on the spot. Um, I think more just understanding the priorities, uh, and maybe also understanding the, um, kind of the attention, uh, I don't want to say attention span, but you know, the, when I, one thing I say, it's a similar thing where, where, um, people at small companies don't understand big pharma companies and vice versa. And I've had the right. fortune of working, you know, at Pfizer, one of the largest, and then some of the smallest and. What I say about big pharma is that, you know, they'll wear one hat for a thousand projects and we're wearing a thousand hats for one project. And it's just a very different perspective. And so you can get frustrated. Why aren't they pay attention to me, which is obviously the most important thing in the world. 
Um, but that's right. not you know, understanding that what someone's life is like working in a big pharma company just helps. And I think the same thing is just understanding what the priorities are and what you know what the life is like working in investment firms helps when speaking to investors. Right, raising the next round that you're kind of constantly always raising capital, right? As an early stage, CEO. right? Yeah, really focused on um, you know what you have this capital. What are you going to do with it, and you know what value you're going to create, and then so how are we going to uh, uh, create capital you know from that towards the next stage? And I think always kind of thinking about uh, looking forward. I mean, as a it, it's easy in a company like this to get bogged down in some of the details of the operation. And fortunately, you know, I have a great team that, that does that day to day. And so I really try to step back and spend more time thinking about, okay, but what's next, right? Yep. And where are we going next? And how are we going to be prepared to be, to be implementing that next step after this? And what about the step after that? And what are the different scenarios that we could uh, see ourselves in in the next, you know, 12, 24, 36 months? And so at those different forks on the road, are we prepared to go down those different paths? So I think working with really good investors and understanding their perspective has helped me to see that and focus on that yeah. more versus just, if I generate great data, everything will take care of itself, right. right? which is not the case. It's not enough. Yeah, exactly. And you probably learned too how to, to really leverage your investors, right? Really lean into them where I think sometimes as, a, as an entrepreneur, raise capital, those become sometimes your bosses, right? And so you, you almost maybe are a little afraid of how much information do I share? And I'm sure you've learned, you know, how to navigate that and use them more for their, than just capital. Is that a right assumption? Yeah, absolutely. And as I said at the beginning, I think working with high quality investors is at the top of my list when I'm trying to evaluate yeah. an opportunity. And I've been fortunate um, to be able to have some choices and work with, with great investors. Um, but why is it great to work with great investors? Well, uh, I mean, several reasons. One, um, they have a reputation. And so that just opens a lot of doors. If people know a major lead investor, then they know yeah. it's high quality science. They know there's high quality people behind it. And so it, that just makes it much easier going forward to, you know, for instance, raise additional capital. But then, you know, in addition, I think the people you work with, um, you know, are going to be highly knowledgeable, very expert, successful investors. And so drawing on the knowledge base, and I mean, I'll say it's, it's on our website, so folks know who's on our board, but you know, Peter Thompson is the uh, right. investment partner on our board from Orbamed and one of the most successful investors, you know, I don't know, the past you know decade or more and having worked with hundreds of companies and there's just so much knowledge and, and there that whenever I talk to him, I think he helps me to as I was kind of saying before, focus on, well, okay, but this is what maybe what's coming down the pipe. And so I'd like you to be thinking about this and helping prepare the company. So I just think that experience is, is so invaluable. Um, and then just, as I mentioned that, you know, the quality of the people, um, the Klaus Weitinger again is on our, on our website. So I'm not saying anything confidential. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, so experienced and, and just such a really terrific guy. Uh, somebody, I've, you know, I jumped at the chance to, to, to work with again. There are, Investors out there, the expression I heard that there's some investors that they're paid to shoot the dog and sell the doghouse, um, which is not the kind of investor that you want to work with. You want to work with an investor that really sees the value in management and wants to partner with management for the best outcomes. And so, um, I think that's some of the things that are valuable to me in working with with Net. and the other you know folks in, in, our, in our company. I don't want to shortchange Rivervest and USVP. Uh, right. Are there you know terrific groups? And you know you you had the 
the fortune of, of knowing some of these people coming in as you know you were helping them look at the company itself but as other entrepreneurs that are trying to find the investors that can truly add value what, what would you say to that i mean how, how do you decipher someone who is just purely you know a check versus i could really lean on this person when things are tough or good just to learn from them and and help us navigate the company yeah i mean um Look, the truth is sometimes when you're raising money, you'll take money from anywhere. And so, you know, it's a luxury yeah. if you can choose your investors. Um, when I was raising money for Symbiomics, we would have, you know, we were getting to the point where we had a cup, you know, shaking a cup on the corner. Right. Um, but uh, if you have, you know, have the opportunity, I and mean, I think reputations precede people, you know, this is a very small yeah. industry and all you really have is your reputation. And so you talk to people, it's not that difficult to start to figure out the different types of folks uh, out there and some of the war stories people have. And I've been in some kind of ugly situations as well. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that's, you know, I certainly I'd say talk to other people that, that have been in this industry and off the record, they'll, you know, they'll tell you, uh, yeah. they'll tell you a lot. Um, but you'll see a lot of heartache in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have the, you know, if you have the opportunity to choose your investors, uh, there's some folks that I won't name them, you know, that I would, I would, I would at this point in my career just decline to work with. Um, and so I think that if you ask around, you'll, you'll figure out who those folks yeah. are. And you've mentioned, you know, your, your former company quite a few different times. I'm sure you've learned quite a few lessons from that. Are there any lessons that really stick out to you from that experience that you're really trying to take into Sparrow of maybe things not to do or things you did right that still didn't work? You know, what are some of the lessons that you're taking in from that last experience? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was a really, you're talking about uh, Indolo Therapeutics, which unfortunately, yeah. uh, you know, didn't make it. Um, so some of the things that you, you may not sort of see about that company, but they, we had a really interesting team dynamic and um, not always positive. And I think that's something that I learned a tremendous amount from um, at that company and then bringing that forward and understanding how important it is to have a good culture, a good team dynamic. Um, especially in a company like ours, that's, I don't like the term virtual, but geographically distributed, right? Uh, we're all across the country. We actually have more states represented than employees. We have some snowbirds. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it really does make a difference that yeah. if the, if the interpersonal side breaks down, it does impact the ability of the company to function. And I, that's not what led to, uh, Undilo, um, unfortunately not making it, um, but could have, uh, yeah. if, you know, if things had gone a different direction. So I think that's something I've really tried to focus on here um, at Sparrow is bringing in people that I think will contribute to the right culture, trying to build on that culture. Not always, look, we've had some, uh, we've stubbed our toes a couple of times there as well, but right. um, I, cause we're human beings and, and people are complicated and, and, um, but I think when we've stubbed our toe, I've really tried to, um, make it a priority to, 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 to focus on that and get us back on course. And I think the team appreciates that. I think they see that that's something that even though we haven't always been perfect, that it is a priority of mine. And it's a place where we care about the people here and we want it yeah. to be a place where people want to work and where they're comfortable working and they're motivated. And, and so we don't always succeed at that hundred percent, but um, it is important. And what is the, you know, culture is a pretty vague word. What's the culture you're going after? that you're really hiring for and looking for in people? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, first of all, you can, I mean, let me just start one sentence, stop and start another, but 
we spent a little time focusing on what are our corporate values on our website. Yeah. I don't have a mission statement, although we have a, we talk about our purpose, which I guess is the same thing, but um, we, we actually, the, the values do matter and it starts with respect. And so uh, I, to me, that means um, you know, respect for each individual, but respect for people's perspectives. And so one thing that's been toxic to me is like a siloed work, work culture and kind of a supreme yeah. arrogance. And, you know, I have this title or degree, and so I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in listening to you or, you know, you don't you don't see the table or I'm not going to share information. That, that, that's, I think that's very, very toxic. Um, you know, things like we say tenacity and just in this in industry, you're going to run into to, to hurdles. You're going to run into near death experiences and you just got to figure out a way to push on through and get there. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking for people, I think that, uh, you know, are self-motivated because as I said, you know, we're, we're small and there's no place to hide in right. a company like this, which is an expression I like. Eight or so people. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty clear if someone's pulling their weight or not. And yeah. we need people who, who thrive in that environment, right. Who, who are self-motivated and, um, and care about what we're trying to do. And, um, and so I think we, you know, we try to have fun. Um, but we're looking at people that are really dedicated, committed to, uh, executing on our, uh, you know, on our, on our business plan and getting this drug and seeing if it can really help patients. So I don't know if that helps or not, but that's uh, what we're trying to foster. Yeah, definitely. And you talked about the mission of Sparrow. What is the mission? What's, what's the vision, you know, of Sparrow, where, where are you trying to take the, where's the company trying to go? Yeah. So we, um, we're developing one drug, although we're taking it in several different directions, um, based upon a bit of biology that we think has been uh, underappreciated. Uh, and that is uh, the biology of how uh, uh, steroids or is a kind of common name, but glucocorticoids uh, are metabolized inside of cells. Um, and so we have a mechanism called HSD-1, a drug called SBI-62, which we licensed from uh, a big pharma company. Um, so, you know, this, this mechanism has been, it was tried for several uh, different diseases and worked okay, but not that great. And, and but we think it's, it's as we said, think underappreciated in, in, in this way. So um, people think of you know, one of the primary steroids your body creates is cortisol, very potent yep. substance, does a lot of uh, things in your body. Um, it's considered part of the endocrine system. Um, kind of a, one of the, one of the core uh, functions of the endocrine system is the HPA axis that uh, um, adrenal glands secrete cortisol and has these functions. So an endocrine effector is defined as one that's secreted by one uh, um, part of the body. It travels to the bloodstream and has to affect uh, somewhere else. That's kind of the definition. Well, what we're showing through our mechanism is actually cortisol is largely uh, what's called an autocrine effector, which is that it's activated inside the cell where it has its activity, which is really turns the field on its head um, because people think about it you know, completely differently. As I said, it's kind of a core part of the endocrine system, not the autocrine yeah. system. And so we've been able to demonstrate that um, by inhibiting HSD-1, you can lower uh, cortisol levels inside of cells. And by doing so, you can reduce the activity or in our case, the toxicity of, of cortisol um, without affecting the uh, overall levels of cortisol in the bloodstream, which, which again, kind of makes people scratch their head. They didn't, wouldn't have thought that was possible because it's an endocrine yeah. effector. So what we're doing with that is um, we're applying that to a couple different spaces where um, we believe the toxicity of steroids or cortisol is the primary causal factor uh, of the disease. Um, 
the obvious place to go with that is Cushing syndrome, which is a condition where people have a tumor that either directly or indirectly causes their body to secrete way too much cortisol. And it's a, it's yeah. a devastating disease. Um, there are some treatments, but they tend to be toxic or um, not as effective as they need to be. Uh, and so being able to come into this space with a completely new mechanism, looking at the biology completely differently, uh, and potentially with a, a, a new mode of treatment for these patients is, is very exciting. The other side uh, where we're using this, this um, concept um, was in steroid drugs like prednisone, which is some of the most widely used drugs in the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, everybody has stories of people they know that are on prednisone. Um, and yet these drugs are incredibly toxic. Um, so a large percent of, percentage of all the adverse events reported on drugs are just due to steroids. And with their long-term use is a very predictable uh, set of problems. Uh, people develop diabetes, uh, bone fractures, um, hyperlipidemia, hypertension, yeah. mood memory problems, uh, thin skin. You could go on and on. Major side um, effects. Yeah. And so similarly how cortisol is metabolized, these drugs like prednisone are cortisol analogs. Um, and so uh, prednisone actually is a prodrug that's activated inside of cells to a drug called prednisolone, which outside the United States is also widely used on its own. And so inhibition of HSD-1, we believe, can lower active uh, prednisolone levels inside of cells where causing toxicity when people take prednisone or prednisolone. And so our hope is that we can actually uh, develop a drug that has the same efficacy as, say, prednisone, but with fewer side effects. So that's kind of a, a quick rundown on kind of our scientific approach and how we're applying it um, with, uh, with our one drug. And you were talking a little bit about where you are today in, in clinical two trials, uh, phase two trials. Where, where are you as like the CEO when you, you, know, you have uh, a finite amount of resources? How do you decide where to allocate capital resources like at this stage of the company? Where, where's the focus? Yeah. So, I mean, the business plan that we had going in with our Series A was to run three phase two trials in basically in three years uh, yeah. to test these two different hypotheses, but in three different indications. Um, and so in my mind, uh, I'm continuously thinking, okay, how do I, how do we execute on that and get to, you know, get to where we need to get to, and then have the company prepared to react and act on that data, as I was saying before. And so I think it's a constant um, conversation of, is that going to help us create value to get to the next step? Uh, and if it's not, unfortunately, it may need to be, you know, deprioritized. And so I think that's just a constant question because there's a million things we could do. People have right. ideas, you know, let's do this. This would be really exciting scientifically. Why don't we take a look at this? Yeah. And I think there just has to be a, a, a continuous process of kind of focus and prioritizing and saying, is that going to help us achieve our goal, which is to generate data showing that this drug can treat these diseases and have the company be in a position to act on that and go forward. And if not, then we don't do it. That's probably pretty hard too, as, as the CEO, as maybe someone on your team comes to you with another idea, right, of where this could go. And, and you have to be really methodical about, is that where our focus should be? Knowing you only have so many resources. It's probably hard to say no, right, when you're also supposed to be the visionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the way I approach that is, first of all, I engage the team in helping to define what it is we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to accomplish it. You know, what, what, I don't just proclaim on high what, you know, our kind of our purposes and our goals are. Uh, obviously we know 
you have a starting point of this is what we were hired to do. This is the money we have, and this is what you know we're, we've been tasked to do with it. But beyond beyond that. I want to engage the team in what's important and what do we need to accomplish. And that way, those conversations actually aren't that difficult because if everybody understands what we're trying to do and why and what the focus is and yeah. what our goals are and what it's going to take to achieve that, then when people bring up ideas, I can say, you know, that's great, but you know, is that going to help us get what we yeah. really need to get to in the next 12 months? And they're and, honest about it. Yeah. And people say, yeah, I, I can see that. Maybe that needs to, you know, to, to be pushed off to the next stage. And so, I think that, you know, that's kind of what I want to foster in a company is I try to be very transparent with people about kind of those strategic goals and what we're trying to accomplish. And, um, and I think that's why, so that people understand what we're doing and, and yeah. they understand what, how, what they're doing fits in, but also what they don't need to be doing. And right. I think a big part of frustration for some people is if they can be working on something and then they don't know why they're doing it or they can feel like it doesn't make any difference that they're doing it, that's very demotivating. And so, yeah. you know, what I say is, well, if you're doing something, you don't need to be doing it, stop doing it because we don't, we don't have, that <laughs> we don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, many myths, right, um, about running a company, but maybe you can demystify a few of them. Uh, at an earlier stage company, you, you wear a lot of different hats. I don't know if there's such a thing as an average day for you, but what does kind of your day typically look like? Where do you, you know, focus yourself rather than you know, necessarily focus the team and how do you kind of keep track of things that are important for you? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, what I'd like to do is, um, kind of set the strategy, have everyone understand it, have everyone buy in and then have them execute. And I can spend my time talking to potential new investors, talking to potential strategic partners out there, trying to kind of build towards that next step. That works to some degree because I've got a highly experienced team, but then, you know, things come up and you get, yeah. you get pulled back in. And, and so, you know, having to deal with some operational issue, having to make a decision about something, um, having to deal with personnel, you know, issues. Um, so I think it's, it's the, it's the pull between that kind of day-to-day, -day, um, operational oversight, yeah. um, which, which is necessary, even though you have highly experienced people, People kind of it has to be somebody with their hand on the tiller, or else the yeah. boat, you know, will run ashore. Uh, right. Even if you have great sailors, right. um, yeah. and so you know, there has to be somebody kind of saying, "Okay, we're gonna, you know, go this direction." Um, but then, you know, trying to focus more on that, on that bigger picture, and, and preparing for the next steps. So you really have to balance the two, right? Where you're looking into the future of, I got to talk to future investors constantly, but at the same time, I need to keep one hand on the wheel operationally and never yeah, be too much absolutely. on either side. Absolutely. Like I said, I have a fantastic team, but you know, the best, the best ship needs someone at the, at, yeah. at the rudder. So, uh, yeah, you have to balance those two things and, you know, don't always get it right. You know, so I try not to sit on every call, every meeting because, um, you know, just like the quantum physics, you know, observation actually changes the underlying process. And so, right. Uh, right. so when I'm yeah. on every call, I mean, people are like, Oh, the CEO's on the call. Well, that's, you know, that's not helpful. They need to be able to do their yeah. work. And, um, but at the same time, if I don't know what's going on, then, things can go down a different direction that maybe I don't want them going down. So I try and yeah. balance that as well. Yeah. Tough balance. Um, speaking of habits, what are, are there any habits that you've really instilled in your life that have been incredibly impactful for you? Well, I mean, I think, um, I don't like the term balance, um, because I, you have to be kind of 
willing to be imbalanced and, and give it all you know, to a company like this when necessary. But um, I, you know, I do try and maintain some, you know, priorities and I, I really try to get to the, you know, get to the gym, get my exercise in because otherwise yeah. I'm going to, you know, fall apart. I've got a couple of daughters and, and my wife, and that's the most important thing in my life. Um, you know, yeah. comes, comes way ahead of way ahead of work. Um, and so I think just making sure to, um, continue to give those things priority, I think, you know, is really important. And then beyond that, this is not a, I tell people who, you know, join Sparrow or that, you know, this is not a, it's not a nine to five job. That's not what we're here for. You know, your, I believe their, their family and these individuals come first, but then beyond that, they need to be totally committed to the success of the company. And it's, you, I think it's important for people to feel ownership, um, yeah. you know, to, to have one of the reasons also be a part of generating what is our purpose? What, what are we trying to do here? What's our objective? Um, having people have a stake, you know, an equity stake and, um, and feel like this is their company. Yeah. You know, this is not somebody else's company they work for. This is their company. And so I guess, you know, those are, I try and balance those things where it sounds a bit paradoxical, but, um, you know, yes, well, kind of we're individuals and family comes first, but this is, you know, you have to be fully committed to success here. Yeah. And that's a good point too. Of people that feel ownership are willing to go above and beyond, you know, what a nine to five may be where there's no ownership. Absolutely. And willing to use creativity, right? Yeah. Instead of saying, well, whatever, it's somebody else's problem, right. but how are we going to solve job. this problem? It's not my job, <laughs> which is incidentally, we didn't talk about it, but you know, when I was leaving big pharma, one of the things that convinced me to leave big pharma is I kept being told, don't do that. That's not your job. You know, yeah. basically there's a whole department for that and you're threatening their livelihood. Right. You're threatening their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if I start to look into, well, how should this product be priced in the marketplace? They're like, no, 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 we have a pricing department. Don't do that. So right. um, like, that's just frustrating. And so you come to a company like Sparrow and if you say, hey, you know, I, I think we should be looking into kind of competitive pricing and someone's like, great, do that. Go, yeah. <laughs> go, yeah. you know. Yeah. Just um, shoot, don't even aim, yeah, just shoot. Go, yeah. great. And um, sometimes it's scary for people. They're like, wait, wait, I just raised an idea and now we're going a whole different direction. Right. Like, yeah, it was a good idea. We're going that way. So, right. you know, make careful what you quickly. raise. And we're yeah. the ones making the decisions, you know, which is really exciting yeah. and fun, right? So we get yeah. to sit around and there's a, a group of us on my kind of senior team, although it's such a small company. I mean, everybody's involved. Everyone's in senior. Conversations. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're deciding what should we do? What's important? Where do we go? And obviously we have a, you know, a board, we have investors we answer to, and we have to you know, meet those objectives. But, um, you know, one of the things I also I learned about, I think, seeing the inside of an investment firm and, uh, you know, they're working with a lot of different companies and they just can't, just physically can't be as involved, you know, in day to day and understand what we're doing. And they have to depend on management, have yeah. to depend on management to be making a lot of decisions because they just don't have the information. And, um, we're at a small so, company. Everybody kind of, they know what's going on. There's a lot more information sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, it's, yeah, that's a fun place to be is to know that this is our little company. It's a real company with a drug that could be hugely impactful. And it belongs to us, this small group, and we're in charge of what happens to it. And that's yeah. a fun place to be. Yeah, very much so. Um, throughout your career, has, has there been, you know, a, like a maybe a, one book that to you has been super helpful uh, in guiding you or a resource that you would you'd like to point out? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's, um, I mean, I'll go back. Actually, I'm not sure if it's, I mean, I, I think a lot of things I read and learn help impact my 
you know, management and, and leadership and running a company, but maybe not as directly, not like a, you know, a book on how to manage a biotech company. But, right. um, you know, one book I, I, I love, I, I like books that give me new ways of thinking and new, new perspectives on things. And so Stephen Johnson's Where New Ideas Come From, uh, I really yeah. loved. Uh, did you read that one? I haven't, no. Yeah, it's a pretty easy read. I mean, it's kind of where does, it basically is where does innovation come from? You know, do yeah. you need like lava lamps and like ping pong tables? And is that what leads to like innovation? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no, that's beach. not what leads to innovation. He's like, what leads to innovation is when people from different fields or disciplines run yeah. into each other. Um, and and the kind of most new ideas are kind of melding of aspects of two different fields that already exist. And uh, I just, just kind of understanding that and seeing it, I, I thought it was fascinating because uh, now that's kind of a part of how I like to run things. And I was talking about, I don't like silos, right? I want people yeah. mixing. Um, and then, you know, a bit different, but I like to read Thomas Sowell as well. Um, I think you're familiar with Thomas Sowell, but um, no, no. kind of a philosophy, economics um, type of uh, academic uh, out of Stanford, but um, just has different perspectives on the world that I find very enlightening. And on that reading topic, how big of, you know, a part of your week is that, you know, are you able to find time to, to dig into a book that, you know, you have a, a shelf of books, right? That you need to read, like how important is that for what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got, I'm one of those that I'm halfway through about five different books in any given right. time, kind of read it, put it Too down. Many of us. And sometimes I give up because I think a lot of books could actually be magazine articles, but you can't really sell those. And so they yeah. write books. But once I get the idea, sometimes I move on, but um, it is important to me. And, you know, my job, uh, some days it's, you know, I'm not jammed all day long, right? Because I've got a great team. Other right. days, other be. things yeah. come up where it's, you know, nonstop for, you know, 24 hours a day over the weekend. And that's just kind of the nature of my job. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of times I can get home at a reasonable time and, you know, and read a book in the evening. Yeah. And as we, uh, as we wrap up, is there any advice that you'd leave for other CEOs or maybe is advice that you've heard it throughout your career that you really loved or you know, you've seen from other leaders that you'd like to you'd like to share as we wrap up? Well, I mean, I think it, it, it's a you know, cliche, but it's true that all you have really is your reputation uh, at the end of the day. And um, our industry is so small, um, you know, this I'm in the kind of private biotech world, which bridges over to the public biotech world, but still you know, kind of the biotech world is very small. Yeah. And um, I was talking about different investors and folks you will or not work with, but um, that, that's, if you, if you, if you lose your reputation, you won't even know it, but you're, you're done, right? Because people won't hire you. People won't work with you and you're just, you're going to be done. So I think, you know, focusing on that, how you treat people, yeah. You know, treat people badly and people be like, I don't want to work with that guy, you know, or that right. gal. Um, and so, you know, focus on, um, on people, the people that work for you. You know, if, if, um, you know, cliche that, you know, no one cares what you know until they know that you care, but that's really yeah. true. Right. So right. I think focus on your people and they'll reward that in kind, um, focus on, you know, being honest and, and working with integrity and opportunities will continue to come your way. Um, I guess it's not, you know, rocket science, what I'm saying, but it is very true, particularly in a yeah. very small industry like ours. Well, I mean, you said it earlier too, for how much it means internally, but also externally, right? People, you make calls when you're trying to find out more about an investor or, you know, a potential candidate, 
small world, all those reputations are out. Absolutely. Yeah. And people, you know, off the record, they'll, they'll tell you or, or they'll decline to say good things, which is sometimes, you know, which is sometimes the same thing. So, uh, that, that, that really is important. And, um, so that's what I would say. Yeah. If it's not a raving review on a reference might be concerning. (laughs) Well, Robert really appreciate you taking the time. I excited to, to see what you guys build with Sparrow and, uh, just appreciate you being on. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time.